everybody welcome back to the one two kentucky blue podcast i'm your host coach john spurlock thank you so much for tuning in today today my guest is the director of sport and performance psychology at the university of kentucky dr mark cormier cormier how are you doing i'm doing well i'm doing well thanks for having me no problem thanks for being on you know before we hopped on and started recording i was telling him that We've had about just about every uh, person in our performance staff on this podcast. So obviously strength and conditioning coaches, athletic trainers, uh, dietitians, and now we're going to have Dr. Cormier from performance psychology, which is a relatively new department here at UK. Uh, one thing I, I sent Dr. Cormier a few talking points earlier this week. So we kind of had a, an agenda to go on with our conversation and I put in there that you know, being the first sports psychologist at UK, and he corrected me and said that's not true. Uh, but as I started thinking about it later that night, I'm like, you know why I think that? Because I have no idea who the other person was, man, woman, uh, no idea their background. But Dr. Cormier has been an incredible addition to our performance staff here at UK Athletics. Um, he works very heavily with uh, a lot of our teams. And the one team I see him the most with is our volleyball team. Um, and we can kind of dive into how those relationships have been built, how he approaches his job. But the first thing, first thing I wanted to hit on is just your background. You're, you're originally from uh, Canada. Where did you get your undergraduate degree? Yeah, it's uh, so originally from Halifax, Nova Scotia, Canada. I was born and raised there. Um, uh, first language is French. My family grew up, uh, were French Canadians. My, my parents, um, I really think only learned how to speak English, um, sort of in their, um, late teens and twenties. Um, so French was spoken, um, predominantly in my, in my house and, you know, my education up until I think 11th grade was uh, completely in French, but I, I learned English at a fairly young age. I was, pretty heavily involved in in sports uh i played hockey like any good canadian kid would um ran track uh played tried pretty much all sports uh at, at some degree and I liked some loved others um there were some that i didn't really care about so um but uh but yeah sports were always a really big part of uh of of who i was growing up and big part of my family and um and so <clears throat> I mentioned the, the, the French school um, piece because when I, um, about in, in 11th grade, I transferred over to our local, um, local high school, uh, which was English speaking. And part of the reason I did that was because um, the, the French high school didn't have a hockey team. And um, I sort of merged over and, and played hockey there for my senior year. And it was kind of my last row. I wasn't really good enough to play at the division one level um, in, uh, in college or anything like that. I was actually a, a, a much stronger distance runner than I was a hockey player. Um, and I tell this story to athletes because I, uh, I, I was a better runner than I was a hockey player, but I, I, I hated racing uh, because I would get so nervous. I would, I would get pretty close to, or I would throw up before every race. And uh, that just wasn't sustainable over time. It was the meat day. It was just a miserable experience for me, but I was really good 
And so when it came a point to kind of decide what sport I wanted to do, um, I just enjoyed hockey more. And so I kind of pursued that uh, up until I couldn't anymore. But, um, but when I graduated high school, I had just made a, a whole bunch of new friends. Um, and so a lot of them were, were going to college, you know, in Halifax, in my hometown. So I decided, you know what, I'm just going to stay home and, and kind of ride this, you know, this friend wave for a little while. And it ended up being really good. So I got my undergrad degree uh, at a university called Mount St. Vincent University, which is uh, in Halifax, Nova Scotia. It's a small uh, liberal arts um, school. It's great, small class sizes, got a lot of really good attention from faculty members. And um, I got what's called an honors degree, which is a little bit different than in the United States. Um, in Canada, you, you need to do a, a kind of a research paper, an honors thesis, uh, which is equivalent to almost a, a master's thesis. And so, uh, so that was part of my education at the undergrad level. And uh, I originally planned on pursuing clinical um, or counseling psychology wanted to work in mental health. I thought that was a really um, cool field to go into. And uh, around the time that I was finishing up my undergrad, I had sort of gotten bit by the travel bug a little bit. So decided to defer grad school for a year and, uh, and just traveled. Um, so I packed a bag and I got a working visa for Australia and just left. And I wasn't really sure when I was going to come back, but I was still pretty um pretty intent on 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 completing grad school so i knew i was going to come back it's just a matter of when and so i ended up spending you know several months in australia tour new zealand saw fiji and when i realized you know what it's time to go back um, i started applying to a, a number of grad programs and figured out that clinical psychology wasn't really what i wanted to do it was part of what i wanted to do it was really i was always interested in helping people um, but, uh, but I didn't know if I wanted to work strictly in mental health for, uh, for, you know, for the next 40, 45 years. And so I started thinking about, you know, who I was and what my value system was and, you know, what I enjoyed doing and, and sport was always a big part of, part of me. I, I didn't really want to go into coaching or anything like that. And, you know, kind of connected to this, you know, helping people, um, I sort of stumbled on sports psychology and it's not something that's you know, really out in the open, it's, it's gone, come a long way recently, but, um, and uh, so I started doing some digging and found some, some graduate programs and, you know, applied to a bunch of them. I didn't really know what was going to happen. I just kind of took a shot in the dark with, with a number of programs and um, got into to, to several. So I was kind of in the position where I got to choose where, where to go. So I chose uh, McGill University, which is in Montreal, and uh, spent two years there, studied coaching, coaching psychology, uh, specifically how, how coaches develop, um, you know, more cohesive team-like atmospheres. And, um, and following that, I, I realized that research is not really my path. Um, I enjoy research. I think it's useful. It has its, you know, place in, in this field. But, um, but I was really more of an applied practitioner. Um, I enjoy working with people. Um, like I said, I think there's value in research, but for me, it's really about kind of getting my kind of the hands-on experience and, and working one-on-one -on -one with either athletes or coaches or, or with groups and teams and things like that. And so I started doing a little bit more research into programs and a lot of Canadian programs are very research oriented. A lot of the PhD programs are. And, uh, so I, I decided, you know what, I wonder what's going on down in the U S and started researching a bunch of programs and found a program at West Virginia University, which is a dual degree program, um, which means that you get uh, 
uh, a master's degree in, in counseling psychology and a PhD in sport and exercise psychology. So I thought that was really attractive. And so um, I moved down there, packed all my things, headed down to the U.S. and um, completed um, my, my education in, in 2014. And um, I met my wife in West Virginia. She was also doing her Ph.D. in a different field. And we happened to meet in stats class of all places. Um, so we got married while uh, we were in West Virginia, our last year there. So when we were both on the job market, we uh, sort of applied anywhere that allowed us to be in the same general geographic location. And uh, we, we were fortunate enough to both get hired at UK. And um, she's, she's born in Michigan, but you know, originally grew up, or, uh, grew up in just outside Cincinnati. So it was fairly convenient for us in, in terms of being close to family. And, um, and we've been here ever since. We've been here since 2014. That's awesome. That is great. What, and what is your wife, what is her, uh, what's her um, degree in profession now? She has a PhD in uh, communication studies. And so she works over in the College of Communication and Journalism in the School of Information Sciences. So she, um, she studies a lot of uh, instructional communication. So, you know, basically how to be effective teachers and what are the common teaching misbehaviors. Um, her, some of her original research was on interpersonal communication. So how, you know, couples uh, or, or individuals talk about relationships to one another. So um, it made our relationship really interesting too, because, you know, she was coming to me with all this, you know, new and innovative research and we would talk about a lot of it. And, you know, a lot of it transfers over to sport too, because it's, you know, in sport, we're talking about teammates. I mean, those are relationships, you know, not romantic ones for the most part. In some cases, there are some exceptions, I'm sure. But, um, but yeah, I mean, it's, it's communication, it's interpersonal communication, how we, how we, how we communicate with one another and how we do that effectively. That's awesome. And how does your wife feel about having a psychologist as her roommate? Because I, my, <laughs> my wife is a psychologist and sometimes it's great. And other times I'm like, God, I didn't need to know that about myself. <laughs> I, uh, I try really hard to, to leave it at work. That's um, good. But so, uh, but um, yeah, it's, I mean, it's, we, we have a lot of academic discussions. Uh, we, we certainly talk a lot about, you know, research and, and those kinds of things, but, um, but yeah, when it comes down to analyzing um, and all, I, I just don't do it, you know, like as, yep. as soon as I tell people what I do, it's like, oh, are you, are you analyzing? No, I don't do that. <laughs> um, I, you know, like if, if I need to be able to shut it off and, you know, just kind of be a human being uh, every now and then. So, so it's, it's been good. We've been, uh, before we started recording, we were talking about accents and I didn't realize you were French Canadian. So yeah, you have that accent that you grew up with. And obviously you said you learned English and then you got thrown into the accent of West Virginia and Kentucky. <laughs> yeah. So a bit of a mix of everything. So a lot of people don't realize I'm Canadian. Um, and, and, and specifically, you know, even taking a step further, a lot of people don't realize that I'm French Canadian, but I mean, I, I grew up in Halifax. I mean, Halifax is about um, I don't know, uh, four or 500,000 people. So it's a fairly big city, um, a little bit bigger than Lexington, uh, a little bit more urban, um, but, you know, primarily English speaking. So, you know, when I started playing hockey at the age of, age of three, um, and when I started going to, you know, pre-K and those kinds of things, I mean, it was hard to find, you know, a, a French school because it's an English city. Um, and so, you know, I had to pick it up pretty quickly, you know, at, the, at a very young age, you know, my dad was, you know, part of the coaching staff, mostly because, 
you know, to kind of help me understand what the coaches were saying. Um, but, uh, but when you're a kid, I mean, you, you've got young kids. I mean, it's the, it's the best time to be teaching languages. Um, they're just, you know, in that critical period for language development. So um, they're like little sponges. So I picked it up fairly quickly. So even though French was the language that we spoke primarily in our house, um, it was, um, it was, you know, as soon as I went to, to hockey practice or a tournament or something like that, all my friends were English speaking. So, so I, you know, there's, there's very little accent there, but if you were to talk to my parents, like if you were to get them here, um, it's still pretty thick and, you know, they're in their late sixties. So yeah. it's, yeah, it's, it's kind of crazy. I've met quite a few people through our profession and even the sport of fitness and CrossFit that are uh, French Canadian and who have been in the States for years and every time I hear them speak or have a conversation with them, it's like, wow, that you can, you can tell that that part of them is still so heavily ingrained in their accent. Yeah. So, yeah I had no idea yeah. you were French Canadian. Yeah. And like I mentioned earlier, before we started recording, I mean, it really depends on who I'm talking to. Mm. Um, you know, we've got a couple of uh, Canadian athletes at UK. And so when they come in and or if I'm ever having a conversation with them, you know, on the sidelines or at practice or even just bumping into them on campus. Um, people sometimes are with me and they're like, wow, you just went full Canadian there when you were talking to them, didn't you? <laughs> I was like, yeah, it's funny because I, I've always been, because I've traveled so much, I, I feel like I've always tried to like assimilate, which probably isn't the right way to go. I mean, you should always kind of, you know, stick true to your roots and all that kind of stuff. But like you pick up things along the way. And yeah. and so, you know, certain words and how you say them and all that kind of stuff. I mean, it just become, you know, new part and the new way of speaking. And, you know, I do so much lecturing and so, so much talking and, you know, so many conversations with different people from all over the place that, you know, my, my, my accent and I'm using the air quotations, like my accent is just a mix of just so many weird different things. That I don't know that anybody can really pinpoint what it is, but oh, yeah, yeah. It depends on the audience. We'll put a bow on this part of our conversation with me reading just one sentence from your bio on the UK Athletics uh, website, where it says, Dr. Cormier is every bit the stereotypical Canadian. He enjoys cold weather, a good cup of Tim Hortons coffee, maple syrup, being friendly, and of course, hockey. That made me laugh so hard when I read that this morning. Yeah, moving on. Uh, like I said, as far as I and I've been at UK for 15 years now, you are the first sports psychologist that we have worked with. Um, when I'm referring to our, my strength and conditioning staff, athletic training, and our performance team as a whole, uh, so you got to Kentucky in 2014. Originally, you were hired on uh, just in the academic world, um, but now you split your time 50-50. Kind of talk with me about how you have to uh, approach this role that you have where you're essentially half a person in two different places. Yeah. I mean, I often joke I'm, I'm a whole person in two different uh, departments because it's, um, it, I mean, you start working and then you start for building these relationships and building trust and all that kind of stuff that um you know a lot of people tend to be knocking down your door um you know looking for you know xyz you know i've got this athlete that i really need to meet with you and all that kind of stuff so it's it's hard to it's hard to say no um but i'll talk to you a little bit about the progression and how that happened um and you know it's interesting you mentioned sports psychologist i'm actually not a psychologist um in in the in the I guess the legal use of the term, 
Um, the APA, which is the American Psychological Association, um, you know, is the, the, the word psychologist is a protected term. And so the only way that you can be a psychologist is if you have a PhD in, in counseling or clinical psychology and you have a license to practice that. I have a PhD in sport and exercise psychology. I have a master's in counseling, so I'm a licensed counselor in Kentucky. Um, but my, my more advanced degree is in, in, is in performance psychology. And so, and it's not a big deal. I think it's just, you know, the, the use of the term and, you know, a lot of people refer to me as a psychologist and after a while, I don't even bother correcting them because it's just, you know, we're trying to, to integrate and try to become, you know, part of the, the, the team and all that kind of stuff. But, um, but, uh, but yeah, performance psychology professional or, or athletic counselor, I, the, the term doesn't really matter to be perfectly honest, but um, yeah, in, in 2014, I was hired. Um, again, I mentioned both my wife and I got hired at UK. We were both lecturers, um, which is, you know, kind of a year to year contract, um, teaching undergrad classes. Um, it wasn't anything glamorous or anything like that. We sort of saw it as, you know, the first job that we get out of grad school, uh, everybody says your first job is not going to be your last job. So just kind of take whatever you can get and, uh, and just kind of move on from there. And I was always taught at a very young age from my parents, you know, um, my, my dad's a blue collar guy and he always, you know, would teach us, you know, do good work and good things happen. Um, you know, work hard and, you know, not necessarily go above and beyond, you know, and all that kind of stuff, but, but, you know, do good work you know, work hard in practice, work hard in school, and people will take notice and you will get those opportunities to kind of move up and, 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 uh, and develop. And so that's always kind of been a part of, of my work ethic um, is to not necessarily do things in order to move up in the world, but just do, do good work. And, um, and, and people take notice and, and the word spreads pretty quickly. And so, um, yeah, so we, we, we both took jobs at UK at the time, like I mentioned, we were both interested in just being in the same place. Um, we'd, we'd known a lot of academics. I mean, it's hard enough to get jobs in academia uh, for one person, let alone two people in the same place. But we've known a lot of people in academic, academia who um, you know, were, were living across different states. You know, in, in some cases, they would be living three, four hours away from their spouse. And we just had so very little interest in doing that. And so we, we took jobs that weren't necessarily ideal just to kind of end up in the same place because we were recently married and wanted to start a family and stuff like that. So, um, so I, I got pretty bored in the first semester because all I was doing was teaching, you know, uh, undergrad sports psychology and I, I think a research methods class at the time. And so I started kind of poking around and um, Lexington at the time didn't have anybody. Um, not only UK didn't have anybody, but Lexington didn't have many people doing any kind of performance psychology uh, in the community. So I you know, opened a sole proprietor um, business where I was kind of officially on the books. And, you know, once people started catching wind that I existed, uh, you know, it was mostly youth sport, you know, parents wanted to get their kids, you know, in to give them the, whether it was a competitive edge or they're dealing with performance anxiety or, or whatever it may be. And, uh, and so it kind of, you know, it was keeping me busy. It was keeping me sharp. Um, I'm one of those people who believe that, you know, being a teacher makes me a better practitioner and being a practitioner makes me a better teacher. And so I really like the marriage of the two. And so I was, you know, always very intent on doing both. And so, um, and uh, yeah, so I was, I was teaching and doing some community work and I was, you know, pretty happy. And, you know, we 
just I don't know, having our first child. So it was, wasn't too hectic yet. And, and then an opportunity sort of presented itself to work with uh, some of our teams at UK. And at the time, even though I wasn't the first, at the time there wasn't anybody working. And, um, and so a coach reached out to me and, and said, hey, I heard you on campus. And one of, my, one of my athletes took your class and he mentioned that you're doing what you're doing and you know, interested if you'd be interested in coming to giving a workshop to, to our group. And I said, sure. And so, you know, at first it was just kind of like, you know, I'm happy to do it. It's just fun for me getting involved with UK athletics. Um, and, uh, and after a while it sort of snowballed from there. Oh, I've got some individual athletes who want to meet with you. And, Oh, I was mentioning your name to another coach in the hallway from a different team and he'd be interested in, in having you come by. And, and so it got to a point where I was like, all right, well, I wonder if I can turn this to, you know, maybe a, a little bit of money and, and so they were paying me out of their individual budgets and that was you know, great. It wasn't a whole lot of money, but it was, it was fun for me. And uh, all while this was happening, um, I was looking at our course offerings at, at UK and I found out that, you know, there's, there's, there's the existing structure for a really good grad program here. Um, but nobody's offering anything because I was, the only one doing any kind of sports psychology. So I started to develop a grad program, a master's program. So I was putting classes together and created a curriculum and, and uh, went through all the kind of protocols and stuff like that. It took about two years uh, to get everybody to sign off and the university to get on board and all that kind of stuff. And so eventually that happened. And while that was occurring, uh, UK actually hired a performance psychology professional. Um, and I'm not really sure the circumstances of, of how it happened, but this person was, you mentioned, you know, you didn't even know that we had a person. Um, part of that was because I think they were hired primarily to work with our football program, which is kind of what happens sometimes. Now that you mention yeah. it, I, I can, that's part of, you know, my time here at Kentucky. I completely forgot that that person existed. Like, yeah, that I'm like, now that I'm thinking about it, like, oh, yeah, I know exactly who you're talking about. But yeah, spent zero time on our side of the campus was primarily with football. Yeah, and I think that was the original intent of the hire. Um, and, um, and so there's, you know, as with some things, it's not always a, a good fit. And um, it, it lasted for a little while. And I think the person's contract uh, ended and, and that person uh, moved on to, to something else. And and um and so because i had been involved with some of the coaches um i, I mentioned earlier you know kind of do good work and, and good things happen and, and things snowball from there uh, but when conversations started to happen internally about okay well who are we going to hire now like how do we even nobody here knows anything about sports psychology how do we even launch a search um and what are we looking for and, and all these different kinds of things and so some of those coaches spoke up and said you know we have somebody here that is on the academic side that we've been working with. And, um, you know, why don't we, why don't we schedule a conversation with them? So some of the uh, senior administration um, emailed me and, and we sat down and talked about specifics and hashed out details. And originally there was a, a proposal to buy me out completely. So I'd be a hundred percent in athletics and, and to be working with all 21 teams, not just one. And, um, and this was all when the graduate program was, was coming to fruition and all the final approvals were getting stamped and signed and all that kind of stuff. So I was like, oh, great, just my luck. I've got two things that I really want to do. Uh, and I don't know how to choose, you know, which one to, uh, which one to actually pursue. Um, and so I, I kind of threw out the proposal. I was like, well, I can't give you all of me. 
I, I sort of kind of said a thanks, but no thanks type of thing. And, uh, and I'm one of those people that I don't think, I don't know if he'll ever take me out of the classroom. Like I just, I love teaching really. I, I do. And so I offered, you know, can, can we do half? Can we do 50%, kind of a 50-50 split? And they said, sure, yeah, let's do that. And so we worked out the details with my dean and, and, and Mr. Barnhart. And um, it's been like that since 2017. So half the time I'm, I'm down in, in Seton, which is where my, my academic department is. And the other half of the time I'm up in, up in Nutter. And I sort of split my time in between the two. And I try to do the best I can with with both roles, although it's, like I said at the very beginning, it's challenging because, you know, I'm, I'm running a grad program, I've got my grad students, and I'm also, you know, running, I guess, a department, even though it's a department of, you know, two 50% people. Mm -hmm. um, it's, you know, still a department, and we're, we're trying to serve all 500 plus student athletes on campus. So it's, it's certainly a challenge in terms of, you know, time is, is, is concerned. Who was the, um, I think I know the answer, but uh, who was the, the coaches that kind of threw your name into the hat when UK Athletics was looking for uh, uh, a performance psychologist? Yeah, so I, I started working with our men's golf program, um, mostly because, you know, golf is obviously a very, you know, uh, mental sport. Um, and I think, you know, and, and part of the reason, too, is, you know, in the golf community, sports psychology professionals are, you know, as important as your swing coach. And so that, that person has, is completely normalized in that sport. Whereas some of the other sports like the footballs and the hockeys and, and baseball, well, baseball, probably not so much, but um, it's, it's still a little bit stigmatized. And so um, that was part of, of why it was so easy to slide in and get buy-in from those uh, from those coaches and athletes and then it developed into working with the rifle program because again another very you know um, obviously physically taxing in very different ways than some of our other sports on campus but very mentally challenging as well uh, and then I developed a relationship over time with uh, with our, our volleyball coaching staff which is part of the reason like you mentioned earlier um, I'm so involved uh, in that program just because that started way way longer uh we um a long time ago as compared to some of the other teams i think that's uh and this might not have how how it all went down but e either you reached out to craig skinner or craig skinner reached out to you and you guys kind of sat down and talked and uh and specifically with the volleyball team i try to sit in on your team meetings with them as much as possible but I'm just kind of talking through the services that you would offer uh, our student athletes. So big team meetings, obviously uh, consultations with our coaches, and then you do meet with athletes in a one-on-one -on -one setting when, when that's necessary. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's not a copy and paste sort of thing. Um, and so every, every team has different needs. Um, and a lot of that starts off with, um, you know, it, it really depends on the coach buy-in because the, the coach is the gatekeeper, right? And so if you can get in with the coach and not sell them on what we're doing, but, but communicate to them the importance of, you know, this, this extra piece that is not necessarily common amongst, you know, even elite level um, athletes. Uh, if you can get them to sort of understand and respect the work that you do 
then they're going to utilize it because coaches as, as competitive as athletes are coaches in my experience are way more competitive than any athlete on campus. They want to win more than anybody. You know, they also care a great deal about their athletes. And so when you throw in the mental health piece there and saying like, Hey, not only am I going to, you know, hopefully help at your athletes perform better. Um, but there's also going to be a kind of a, a, a reactive aspect to this too, where, if some of your athletes are struggling with X, Y, Z, because athletes are people, right? They're human beings. They, they have struggles just like anybody else. Um, so to have that person on hand as, a, as an added resource to say, you know, when things get hard, that's okay. Um, just you know, reach out and utilize the resources that you have available to you. And this is a useful resource that we all have available to us. And so to kind of get back to your, you know, your statement, it's not, it's not a copy and paste. It's not a one size fits all. Some coaches, you know, really want me to be integrated within the season, um, you know, doing work in the preseason as well. Um, you know, we do book clubs with a lot of, um, you know, some of our athletes that's, you know, during the summer months. Um, whereas other coaches just kind of say, um, you know, I've got a pretty good handle on things from a, a team perspective, but if you want to work with individual athletes, I'll definitely you know, refer them to you. And, you know, I don't need to know, and, and they don't need to tell me, and you don't need to tell me, and just, we'll just kind of assume that we're all doing our jobs. And, and that's fine too, because um, from, you know, from a, a completely, uh, from a time perspective, I just don't have time to work with every single team and every single athletes in the way that I do with some of the ones that, you know, really buy in. So, so, I mean, it, it, it's, it's a mixture of just a number of different things. Um, you know, I work with, uh, you know, as you know, the strength conditioning staff, the sports medicine staff, um, you know, if we're going to use volleyball as an example, you know, Craig and I will meet for coffee every now and then we'll have phone calls every now and then just to kind of talk about, you know, how's the season going? How are the rookies integrating? Um, you know, what's going on behind the scenes? Is there anything I should be aware of? Um, or he'll just say, Hey, are you open to coming to talk to the team? You know, you haven't been in a couple of weeks, you know, this is the kind of, these are the messages that we're sending. Um, what are your thoughts? And so we'll have a conversation about, you know, what I think would, would be kind of a nice fit in terms of, you know, uh, motivating or whatever, whatever is going on at the time. And, and we'll have a conversation and, and sometimes Craig is there and sometimes he's not and, and, and sometimes you're there and sometimes you're not. And, and I think there's value in having people in the room. Uh, there can also be value in it being just me and the athletes too. Yeah. Uh, and so again, that, that depends on, on where, where the team is and, and what's going on and, and who the athletes are. So it's really part of the job is figuring out where all the pieces fit. And one thing, and we had Craig on the podcast, um, uh, I don't know, about three weeks ago, and we were kind of talking about like, where did he see or what, he, what did he feel was kind of the turning point for his team to win three SEC championships um, these past three years? And, you know, sometimes it's not a, a major uh, life-changing uh, adjustment you made to your program, but when you got involved with the team, I think that was just one of the uh, small piece that was able to give those players a little bit of an edge. And when I look back on it, uh, it was that summer, I believe, or maybe it was the year after where you did do the book club with volleyball. Uh, mm -hmm. So they would get done working out with me and then they would spend not very long, like 
15, 20, sometimes maybe 30 minutes um, down the hall in our big team room at Nutter Training Center. And you guys would talk about the book they were reading, which was The Mindful Athlete. And that was my real first exposure to you. Um, we're about the same age, so I wouldn't be, I, I'm not coming through the grad program and I didn't take any of your classes, but I was able to hear your message to the team, which helps me out as a strength coach. And just as it, it does when I sit and on a team meeting when Craig's leading it and able to convey the same message and hit on the same points when, when we're possibly going through some adversity and hard times in the weight room. So I think that is just one of those little nuggets that helped push that team over the edge so they could finally capture that championship. Yeah. And I appreciate you saying that. And, you know, to be honest, it was probably a combination of a lot of different things. Um, but the fact that, you know, that is one piece of it, you know, cause when you think about all the things that make up a championship team, um, you know, it, it's not just the X's and O's. It's not just, you know, you could have the best team on paper, the most fit team on paper and the most mentally prepared team on paper. Mm -hmm. That doesn't mean anything unless, unless you're winning, you know, games. Um, and so sometimes there could be conflict on the team and that just throws everything off, you know, completely. Um, and so sometimes cohesion um, can have an impact. Not to say that this was, that, that had anything to do with the volleyball team, but what I'm, what I'm trying to say is that, you know, all these pieces need to fit together. And, and you can be 98% of the way there, um, but that 2% that's missing um, could be preventing you from really taking that huge step forward. Um, and, so, and so part of when I'm talking to, you know, athletic administrators and coaches um, is I'm, I'm never guaranteeing like, hey, look, if you bring me on board, I guarantee that you're going to win an SEC championship this year or next year. Um, there's no way that I can, I can promise that. And in fact, that would be, you know, completely irresponsible of me. But if you, if I, if I can communicate to them that like, Hey, this is not going to hurt, you know, it's really just shaping them into, you know, them capitalizing on, on what they already possess and like their physical talent and, and B, um, most of the other teams are doing it. And so you also don't want to fall behind because every other team in the SEC has somebody working with their athletes, you know, whether it's from a mental health or performance psychology perspective. And so it's putting all the pieces together. And, and the point you're making, I, I think, is, you know, you sitting in on meetings and, and you know, Katie Poole sitting in on, on the volleyball um, meetings as well um, is important for everybody to be on the same page. Um, because one of the things that we find oftentimes, particularly in youth sport, but this happens at the elite level as well, is this idea of competing reinforcers, right? And so if I'm, if I'm recommending something to an athlete, you know, um, let's just say, for example, um, this is completely an example, but there's an athlete struggling to serve. Um, she can't quite get, you know, her serve percentage up, even though she's physically capable of doing it. Um, you know, I might say something like, I don't know, take, take an extra three seconds after the whistle is blown, after the ref gives you the go ahead, you know, take three seconds, take a deep breath and really try to organize your thoughts and be intentional about what you're doing. And then Craig turns around and he's telling the same athlete, you know, you really got to don't think, you know, as soon as the, the, the whistle blows, go for it. You know, don't take that. Don't, don't take any extra time. And so then that athlete is, is put in a position where I, I don't know what to do, right? Because I've got, I've got Dr. Cormier saying this, I've got Craig saying this, and then I've got mom and dad who have coached me my whole life saying this, 
So I don't know who to listen to. And that creates a conflict for the athlete, which usually leads to more mistakes. And so while there is confidentiality in what I do, like I can't go and disclose anything to anybody about what anybody says in an individual or team session. Um, there is value in athletes being open about what they're, what they're talking about me or what they're talking to me about because, because of that reason. And so having you sit in on meetings and, and Craig sitting on meetings, you know, they're hearing the message that, that I'm trying to say and their, their you know, recommendations and things like that. And, and oftentimes we talk about these things ahead of time so that there's no surprises so that Craig doesn't have to stand up and say, uh, wait, let's not do that. Um, so that everybody is then going forward in the same, we're all on the same bus, you know, and nobody's resisting. Nobody's got a parachute in the back trying to slow things down, you know, for some weird reason that we're all just kind of passengers on the same journey. Together. Absolutely. So let's kind of talk about uh, your vision uh, as you see not only the athletic piece of it, but the academic piece of it as well. Where do you see, you know, how your program develops and grows and evolves in the future? Yeah, I mean, I think the um, I think the thing that most people want is is more staff, um, you know, because because I am half a person um, working, you know, with with all twenty one teams. Um, it creates, you know, a, a supply and demand kind of situation where um, I hate turning athletes away, uh, but there are sometimes during the season where I've got a four week waiting list. Um, because I try to really be mindful about how many hours I'm putting in, not because I, I don't want to, uh, but for my own sanity and mental health. Uh, if I'm putting in 40, 50 hours on the athletic side and 40, 50 hours on the academic side, uh, that's just not sustainable over time for, you know, for a father and a husband and, and just, you know, a, a general well, human being. Yeah, a general human being. <laughs> so, but, uh, so, you know, more, more staff would be, you know, one of the things that I think would be, um, you know, in my, in my long-term plan. And um, <clears throat> in fact, I think strength and conditioning does it really well. And I've, I've been very public and open about my thoughts on this is that the training model that you guys utilize where you have, you know, graduate interns who are coming in and getting their hours and getting a lot of exposure to elite level athletes. Um, that's not something that we do in sports psychology. It's, it's a little bit backwards where, you know, people are working with the elite athletes only after they've gotten, you know, credentialed at, you know, the PhD level and, or, or, you know, some at the master's level, but it, it takes years to get to that point. And so, and then it takes another couple of years to kind of become really good at it. Um, because this is one of the things that you, you know, you learn by doing. Um, you can take as many classes as you want, but unless you're getting in there and you're actually having those conversations and working with athletes, then it's, 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 it takes time. It's really challenging. And so, um, so one of the things that I tried to incorporate just this year was to kind of re relieve some of the pressure that I have from, you know, all these teams and all these athletes and the demand. Uh, I brought in some of my grad students uh, and I've, you know, I've, I've invited them, the ones that I think would fit in particularly well with with certain teams on campus because they need to do internships. They need to do internship credits and hours in order to get certified and in order to complete the coursework. Um, so I say, all right, well, here's our, here's a team with, you know, not a huge number of athletes that's manageable for a grad student. I'm here to supervise. I'm here if you need me. The coaches are on board. 
Um, and the athletes tend to think, oh, well, we have, now we have this grad student that's just ours, right? We don't have to share them with all 20 other teams and we don't have to wait four weeks to meet with him. If we email him or text them on Monday, we can literally meet him Tuesday morning because we are his responsibility. And so, you know, that's something that we've uh, just started to implement. And I'm still involved with all those teams. Like I'll show up to a couple meetings and, 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 and provide mentorship and feedback and, and to my grad students and, and even, you know, help deliver the message and all that kind of stuff. And that's how, that's how you learn, not unlike what you guys do in strength conditioning. So I think there's real value in that. And I've picked up on a lot of, you know, what I see in the training room um, or in the weight room. And I've noticed that, wow, you guys, you guys have got your shit together. Like you guys, you guys got some really good people that really know what they're talking about. And I wonder if there's something to this training model. So I've really tried to adapt some of that to, to what we do. Well, that's awesome to hear and kind of going off that point. So, uh, so I'm trying to think back. So Alicia Creo, who was one of mm -hmm. my strength coaches graduated. She was the first, not the first only person, but the first graduating class that went through your sport exercise, um, uh, sport and exercise psychology master's program, correct? That's true. She was actually the first student. So she was part of that initial class. Uh, and she was the first one to finish. Um, the other two students in that inaugural class um, decided to, to switch gears a little bit late. And so it, they took an extra, I think, a couple months to finish up. So she was, yeah, she was the first one of the first class. So she's the, uh, she's the inaugural student. And I think I, as she was applying for grad school, uh, we were talking with her about, hey, do the exercise fizz route. And it was almost at the very, I think she ended up having to like call you and actually change uh, her, her emphasis from exercise fizz to uh, your program, which I think was a great uh, decision on her part. But she was able to help me connect the dots between, like you were saying, you're half a person with athletics. And you know, I have, I had a lot of questions and she was able to take the time to, when I wasn't able to get in front of you and have a one-on-one -on -one meeting, she was help, able to help me connect the dots with the questions I had. Uh, so she was an incredible resource for us. And now the actual graduate uh, assistant that replaced Creo, Ken Knox, has just finished up his first year in that same grad program. So I'm extremely happy to have somebody can to continue that um, that legacy um, that Creo started, uh, and you can kind yeah. of touch. Yeah. No, I was. I mean, I mean, first of all, Creo is just an amazing person, um, it, you know, to have um, in in any program. So she she was not only good as a just a general student, but like you said, she was a great liaison between what I do and what you guys do. Mm -hmm. And I think in, in helping, like you, you touched on it, helping you sort of kind of, you know, bridge that gap, but also helping some of the other um, strength staff, you know, appreciate at least the connection between, you know, our two respective departments. Yeah. Um, because in a lot of, a lot of my colleagues, a lot of my counterparts at different schools, not just in the SEC, but across the country, you know, they, they sort of, they report that oftentimes they, they work in silos, you know, like I'm going to do what I'm going to do. You're going to do what you're going to do. And if there's a connection there, then we'll let the athletes sort of bridge that gap and we'll kind of mind our own business and stay out of each other's ways. 
Um, and unfortunately, that's been the, the case for a lot of professional organizations as well, uh, where there's just kind of like secrecy and silence between, you know, what, what it is that we do. But I mean, we're intentional about about connecting. And, you know, I'm able to jump in and and, and provide perspective as much as I can, you know, ethically and legally, because I am bound by confidentiality. But at the very least, you know, we can, we can talk in, in, in general, you know, you know, concepts to say, you know, if we're, we're, we're struggling with this, you know, what are your thoughts? And to even have somebody like Carrillo and, and Ken, you know, involved in the room that are kind of this constant presence of, you know, have you guys thought about this? And have we, have we thought about doing it this way? And, and that's not to say that that's, you know, necessarily the right way, but it gets the conversation going. And I think that's the key piece there. And, and from a selfish perspective, having Ken and Carrillo, you know, on my end, I get to learn a lot about what you guys do. And that's helpful to me because, you know, sometimes athletes present with issues that are related to some things that are going on in the strength room. And I'll be like, oh, well, you know, I happen to know a certain amount of things that, you know, based on what I've learned, have you thought about this this way? And the athlete's like, oh yeah, crap. No, I didn't think of it that way. So it's interesting. I think, and it's, and it's critical. It really is. And I, you know, I've been here for a long time and I've been able to see our strength department grow. When I first got here in 2006, you know, as a strength staff, we were supposed to be not only the strength coach, but also uh, the nutritionist, be an expert in everything that how they're fueling their body. Uh, we were also looked to as the person that was going to build character and develop the leaders um, in our athletic department. And kind of like you were saying, a lot of people are working in silos and, you know, the athletic training and the medical piece of it is, you know, so crucial and so important important that I, I, our, our, our collaboration um, is extremely important, but I never felt like when I went through my education and as I was coming up in this field that the training, the mind and understanding um, you know, what different people are going through. Um, that was something I never felt like was my strength. And like you were talking about, even when we just have a conversation on general concepts, mm -hmm. I always leave the conversation being like, man, I never thought about it that way, or I'm going to use this tomorrow. And you're always able to give some sort of tidbit that we can practically use. It's just not a general concept of a, or a theory that you're throwing out there. Mm -hmm. So it's, uh, it's been awesome to see the strength department grow. Monica and her department has been incredible uh, to watch as that has developed as well. And I think your department and your area and your position is kind of that next piece. And it was awesome to hear about your vision with getting grad students involved. And uh, I'm excited to see how that, go, how that grows in the future. Yeah, I appreciate that. I mean, I think you make a great point that it's unrealistic for, you know, a department or a staff member to, to wear the hats that they're, that's just not them, you know. Um, we, we, can't, we can't expect our athletic trainers to be trained in, in therapy and, and counseling and things like that. Um, and so they have to have some competency um, to be able to recognize symptoms and, and all that kind of stuff to refer these people but you can't expect them to do everything. I mean, you're, you're a trained strength and conditioning coach. I'm sure you were trained in nutrition and, and nutritional sciences and things like that, but it's not what you do hundred percent. And so I think, 
I think it makes complete sense to have individuals in place that are experts in their areas, as long as there's a connection between those individuals that makes, you know, with, with the, 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 the student athlete welfare in mind. I mean, we're all here to help student athletes. That's, that's our goal. And so I think as, as long as we're all kind of doing our same things in conjunction with one another, um, there's, that's, that I think is the recipe for success. Absolutely. So uh, we've been going for about uh, a little over 45 minutes right now. And I know you got two kids. Um, <laughs> how has life been from a professional and personal standpoint since we've been at home for eight weeks or whatever week it is oh, right now? Rough. Yeah. Really rough. Yeah. I, I mean, look, I I feel incredibly fortunate that you know, both, both my wife and I have been able to continue working. Um, and we have the ability to, we had the ability to finish working and, and, and uh, finish the semester at home. I, I'm, I realize and I recognize that there's a lot of people that don't have that privilege. And so we've been, you know, very <clears throat> careful about what we complain about. But, uh, but it was, yeah, it was, it was definitely a challenge and an adjustment for everybody. I think my two-year-old is living her best life because she's just at home with the people that she loves the most in the world. So she's, you know, just loving life right now. Um, but yeah, my five-year-old is just craving social interaction. Really? Um, you know, she just needs another five-year-old to run around with and to play with and stuff like that. So it's, it's been hard for us to watch that. Um, and, and we're trying, you know, doing the best we can while still trying to finish, you know, um, doing our work and, and completing our responsibilities. But you know, on the athletic side, it's been a lot of, you know, it's been a lot of late nights um, where I'll tell athletes, yeah, I'm, I'm happy to continue to meet with you. And I've done that. And I've, I've maintained the, the same relative amount of hours that I, that I do in the, the semester and face to face, but it's been a lot of, you know, phone calls that start at eight o'clock and, and go until, you know, midnight in some cases, because that's really the only time that I can, I can carve out a piece of my day. Um, to, to dedicate completely to a person and not be interrupted by, you know, somebody kicking down the door, you know, daddy, I need some juice or all these different kinds of things. Cause you, you know, you want to be present when an athlete is, is reaching out for, for something. So it, it's, it's been difficult to manage, but we've, we've made it work. Um, we've been supportive of one another when each of us has you know, a meeting or work that needs to be done. So it's been a partnership for sure. And it's been, it's been, it's been fun in some cases because there's a lot of time spent together, but it's been challenging in others. Well, I really appreciate you taking uh, some time to talk with us and hopefully we can get you back on the podcast sometime soon and we can maybe dive into uh, maybe a specific topic with performance psychology. Um, I think that would be awesome for our listeners to hear kind of a kind of an area where you feel like you're, you're leading the way in your field. Uh, yeah, but if you absolutely. want, if our listeners, if you want any more information about Dr. Cormier, the sport and exercise psychology uh, master's program at UK, uh, I looked it up on Instagram. You guys have an Instagram page. Did you know that, Dr. Cormier? Uh, I do know that. Uh, I think one of my grad students runs it, um, and I think it's just at UK Sports Psych, if yeah. I'm not mistaken. At UK Sports Psych, that's exactly it. And I looked it up, and there's actually a picture of Ken Knox playing Fortnite <laughs> or something it was like a student spotlight that they did on uh, so it's, yeah. Knox, it's Knox playing Fortnite. so i'm glad nice to, to know how he's spending his time right exactly exactly yeah. 
Uh, but he just actually had a birthday yesterday. Big 24 for him. Big 2-4. Oh <laughs> oh, hope he's socially distancing still. Who knows? Yeah. Yeah. Well, I appreciate it again. If anybody has any comments or questions for us, like always, you can reach us at UKStrength at UKY.edu. Thanks and go Cats.